0: Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you so much for your lavish love. We thank you for what a joy it is to be a family, your sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And to be able to come into this place that you provided for us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I just thank you for your word tonight. And I also know, Lord, that uh, this is a difficult subject for all of us. Um, at some level or another. And so I'm asking now that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as we open your word, that you'd open our hearts and our minds. And Lord, wherever there's any misunderstanding, wherever there's any doubt, that uh, you would give us faith. And Lord, where uh, there is hurt or wounding in this area, that you would bring healing tonight. And Lord, if there's any despair or darkness or in whatever way we're in sin, that you would bring forgiveness and hope. And Lord, I pray um, in whatever ways we're dealing with apathy or laziness, that you would so fill our hearts with love that um, we would serve you humbly and joyfully with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, we acknowledge that all things come from you and of your own have we given you. So Lord, come now and help us to see you, that we might know you and follow you and experience the life you extend to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So right out of the gates here, I want you to ask a question, but I want to get you involved in this. Um, I want you to turn to someone sitting next to you and just ask this question. What are your expectations? Turn to someone close to you, just ask them. What are your expectations? So you can see when you start talking about expectations, the conversation can continue to go on. There can be mumblings and follow-up questions and clarifying questions. It's important to talk about expectations. Clarifying expectations is critical for every relationship. That's why it's important. Clarifying expectations is absolutely essential for every Relationship, Understanding what someone expects of you and clearly communicating what you expect from them is essential for healthy, whole-functioning, good relationships. When I got back from uh, fly fishing on Sunday night, uh, I came back a little different. And uh, if it keeps going, it's going to start looking rabbinical, which I'm kind of looking forward to. But I came back, and, uh, and on Monday night, I said, Hey, Amanda, i got a big decision before me. I'm going to go back to the office tomorrow. I don't usually show up in a beard. I'm thinking of shaving it. What do you think? And she said this, Why would you shave it? And I thought, Wow. <laughs> um, I don't know. And she said, Well, I thought you said that having a beard made you feel like you were on vacation. And I said, It does. And she said, I need you to feel like you're on vacation for the next two weeks. So don't shave it. So I haven't shaved it. <laughs> um, not what I was expecting. <laughs> Um, All week long, Ben's been asking me to take him to see the movie Ant-Man. Have y'all seen that? And I was thinking, I have no idea how in our schedule this week we are possibly going to find the time to see Ant-Man. But I said, I promise I'll do everything I can to make it happen. And on Thursday afternoon, the opportunity opened. Ben and I went and saw Ant-Man, and it completely exceeded my expectations. I don't know if you've seen it. Really great movie. I don't see movies twice. I'm going back to see that one. On Tuesday... Uh, Susanna came to me and said, uh, Mia, that's my mom, has asked me to come and spend time with her in Austin, but Dad, I'm really going to miss you, and I don't know how long I should go. What do you think? And selfishly, I'm like, I don't want you to go at all. I'd rather you just stay here. But we talked through it, and uh, we talked through it, and we talked through it some more, and everything kind of came together. She went, she came back, she had an awesome time, and I'm really glad she had the opportunity to go. Um, on Thursday, Barrett told me that he was going to um, win the uh, champion award at the basketball camp that he's been at all week. And I went to the closing ceremonies on Friday at lunch, and he won the most valuable, I mean, the most improved player. And it was really sweet. He's five years old. His heart kind of got disappointed, but he went and he got got the medal. And, And afterwards, I just affirmed him and Um, We just celebrated that award and we had this great conversation on the way home about how hard he worked all week and how much he put in to the skills and the drills at camp and how he actually really was thankful that he got the most improved player award. The point is this, we manage expectations every day. We manage expectations every day and all week long. And when expectations are clear, there's a sense of alignment which leads to peace and success. And when expectations are confusing, there's misalignment which leads to conflict and oftentimes division. And when expectations are met, we feel this deep sense of satisfaction, and, and we celebrate those things. But when expectations are unmet, we feel disappointed. And oftentimes, it ends up feeling like our spirit, our soul, shrivels up inside us. What are your expectations? By telling the parable of the minus, Jesus is managing an important expectation. He's managing an expectation about what it means to be his follower. About what it means to inherit the kingdom of God. Of what it's going to look like after he goes to Jerusalem and crucified and is uh, uh, risen three days later and then ascends into heaven. He's managing the expectation that his disciples are going to carry out. And Jesus is really clear. There's no confusion in what he's thinking and what he's communicating. And the thing that's motivating Jesus to tell this parable is love. His love for his disciples then, his love for his church, his love for us today. Jesus wants us to understand his expectations of us. And to feel that sense of connection and satisfaction and celebration. Not to become disappointed and shrivel up in our souls. So what expectation is Jesus communicating in this parable? Remember, a parable is an earthly metaphor with a heavenly meaning. It's a simple story that conveys a spiritual truth. What expectation did you hear when Lucy read the gospel reading tonight? What expectation is Jesus setting out for his glory and for our benefit? For his fame and for our our joy and our freedom? That's what we're going to look at tonight. I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 19, your Bible app. To Luke chapter 19, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a red one in the pew in front of you. We have Bibles in the back. If you want to raise your hand, someone from the welcome team would be happy to bring you one of those Bibles. We're going to open up the Word of God together. Luke 19, verses 11 through 26. And hey, every time we open up the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to help us know Jesus and grow in faith, it's really important to start with a context. We've got to understand the context with which we are engaging Jesus through his word. So what's the context of this story that Jesus is telling to clarify an important expectation for the benefit of the disciples then and the disciples now? Look at verse 11. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable. While they were listening to this, what's this? This is the transformation of Zacchaeus. We find it a couple of verses back. Look at verses 8 and... And nine, Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay him back four times the amount. And Jesus turns and looks at Zacchaeus, and I think with a big smile on his face, says, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. That's really important. Don't miss that. This man, Zacchaeus, you're a son of Abraham. What was the promise to Abraham? The promise to Abraham was that God was going to bless him to what? To be a blessing. And now Jesus is looking at Zacchaeus and saying the promise of God, the wholeness, the completeness, the salvation of God has come into this household. And what I promised Abraham has now come true in your life. And you have been blessed in order to be a blessing. And you just declared that you are now going to live as a blessing for my glory and my fame. And then Jesus ends it with this. For the son of man came. To seek and save the lost. Jesus is saying, equal sign, this is what I'm all about. This is what the mission um, that God has given me that I am completing. This is what it means for the kingdom of God to come in people's lives. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What, what just happened? What did did Jesus and the disciples just experience? Zacchaeus, who was a greedy lover of money, who used money selfishly to build his personal kingdom, got saved. The presence of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit as Jesus comes to his house. Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, right? He took the initiative there. Very incarnational ministry. As Jesus comes into the presence of Zacchaeus and his household, his love, his acceptance, whatever he was teaching, the Holy Spirit took away Zacchaeus' heart of stone and gave him a heart of flesh. The old was gone. The new had come. By the grace of Jesus... Something happened. Zacchaeus was reborn and it resulted in faith. It resulted in hope. It resulted in love. His heart got healed. He believes in Jesus. He falls in love with the kingdom of God. And he desires for generous, selfless giving and grateful response to Jesus to now be his attitude and action. That is what wells up within him. This is one of the most joyful passages in Jesus' earthly ministry. There's so much celebration that's going on at Zacchaeus' house last night. Because of Jesus, Zacchaeus decides to steward his resources in a way that others will experience the love of Jesus too. Jesus blessed him. He decides he's going to be a blessing. So others will be blessed by Jesus as well. Verse 11, while they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable. See the context? Jesus tells this parable because he wants his disciples, including you and me, to have a heart like Zacchaeus. He wants us to believe in him. He wants us to put his kingdom before our own. He wants us to experience that radical transformation of a new birth, a new life that would lead us in grateful response to partner with him in the mission of his kingdom by using our resources in a way that leads others to experience him and his love. And the disciples have all sorts of expectations right now. Of what is going to happen when they enter into Jeru- Jerusalem. Because Jesus had been talking about this. And they're picking up bits and pieces. They haven't put it all together. They're a little bit confused. But when he says. The son of man is going to be handed over to suffering and death. And on the third day he'll rise again. To fulfill all the laws and the prophets. They're putting a little bit of that together. But they don't really understand what it's going to be all about. And so they're projecting. They have assumptions. They have their own expectations that are building up. And so Jesus tells this parable to clarify his expectations. Because he loves them. He wants them to be clear. He wants them to be aligned. He wants them to be free and fully satisfied in their relationship with him. And that's the big idea of this parable about what God has for us in his word tonight. Jesus expects us to invest our resources joyfully with a heart full of faith and hope and love to extend his kingdom until he comes again that's what the parable of the minas is, is all about so let's break it down a little bit look at verses 12 and 13 jesus said a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So what do you see there? When the king gives the minas to his servants, the king still retains ownership of the minas. The servants are merely entrusted with the minas. They don't gain sole ownership of them. And what the king um, expects, what the king communicates, is that they're going to put his money to work for him until he comes back. This is really neat. Jesus is teaching the disciples who God is. God's the king. And everything belongs to him. He's the rightful owner of all things. It all belongs to God. And that means as followers of Jesus, as the people of God, the church, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, there's no such thing as my money or my resources. It all belongs to God. And he graciously entrusts it to us. And he graciously entrusts it to us for a purpose. His purpose Jesus is helping the disciples understand who God is. He's also helping the disciples understand who God creates us to be. We belong to God. We're God's subjects. We're citizens of his kingdom. We're his servants. And in relationship with God, we're created to be fruitful and to multiply. And that doesn't just have to do with babies. We're created to be fruitful and multiply with with everything that God entrusts to us. So like the servants in Jesus' parable, we're stewards, not owners, of the resources that God entrusts to us. And until he comes again, Jesus intends us to be busy with it. As his church... We're meant to be busy with his resources. And the single greatest task of the church, the primary task of the church, is to continue Jesus' mission and the power of the Holy Spirit to what? To seek and save the lost. So that the experience Zacchaeus has is the experience for every man, woman, and child in our spheres of influence. That we might uh, welcome Jesus into our lives, that we might experience his truth and grace, that we might be profoundly transformed by his love, that we might align ourselves to him as our king, serving him in whatever way he's given us to serve him. God entrusts us with His resources to continue His mission. It's why it's been such a joy for us to invest in the Northridge property or the North Alamo property. To express what it means. For us to be a gospel community making disciples and developing kingdom leaders to live on mission. To be able to create and design and to have a place that is consecrated and set aside as a tool for us to live out the values of Jesus. Connecting and worshiping and growing and serving. A means to help us live out the gospel with one another and with those who don't yet belong To the family of God and Christ. Can can we be the church without that building? Can we be the church without the building on North Alamo? Shake your head like this. We are the church. We are the people of God. Those are just tools and instruments that God has graciously provided for us through us for the sake of his mission. And so even though we don't need those things to be the people of God, those things are beneficial for helping us be the people of God and extend the invitation to others to come and be the people of God with us. God entrusts us with his resources to continue his mission. Now, This parable is rich and has a lot of layers to it. And it goes on. And as it goes on, as you heard, Jesus is also teaching about how sin corrupts our God-given identity. About how sin separates us from God, misaligns us from his purposes, and keeps us from experiencing his blessing, and therefore keeps us from freely giving his blessings away. Jesus is teaching about how sin corrupts our relationship with him. Like the people in the parable, the sin of pride leads us to reject the one true king. The sin of jealousy leads us to enthrone ourselves and exalt our personal kingdoms. The sin of greed and hate leads us to invest our resources foolishly and extravagantly and wastefully, primarily by not investing them at all. You heard the parable, right? When we are influenced by sin... When we're motivated by the flesh, when we're duped by the cultural narrative of the world, fear trumps faith. Despair displaces hope. Apathy overcomes love. We miss the mark of God's design and blessing and fall short of the glory that we were designed to enjoy. That's how sin corrupts our hearts, corrupts our lives, and corrupts our partnership with God. You know the cultural myths. You know the temptations you and I fight day in and day out. The images that we're bombarded with. The temptations that come our way. We pretend it's our money. We're deceived into thinking that more will actually bring us greater freedom or happiness. We refuse to listen to the truth and grace of Christ and his word and we push back against the gospel, we actually condemn the kingship of Jesus so that we can continue to make it all about ourselves. And when our souls begin to shrivel up and we start feeling isolated, alone, and disappointed, you know what we do? We blame God. That is the ravages of sin, the vicious cycle that our sinful nature forces us to deal with on a daily basis. It's how sin plays out in Jesus' parable. Look at verses 15 through 26. The wicked servant takes what belongs to the king, and what does he do with it? He does nothing with it for the king's purposes. Nothing. He does nothing to grow or to expand the king's influence. He's paralyzed by a misunderstanding of what the king is like, and so he becomes motivated by fear rather than following the king with faith. And as much as the third servant wants to please the king, his good intentions aren't enough, and the accountability is tough. The king calls him what? Wicked. Not because the king no longer loves him but because he doesn't obey the king's instructions. He's wicked because of disobedience. It's the original sin. He fails to take advantage of the opportunity the king gives him, and thus he forfeits the reward he could have had. The wages of sin is death. And what Jesus is communicating is, That he wants us to be like the good servants. Who take what belongs to the king and use it to make more for the king. To take what's been entrusted to us and use it to grow and expand the king's influence. And when we do that as it is in the parable so it will be for us. The king will respond, well done. Well done. What does he do with those good servants in the parable. When they take his stuff and multiply it for more of his fame, he rewards them, doesn't he? By entrusting even more to them. To the first servant, the king says, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. To the second servant, who he gives five minus two, he says, I going to give you charge of five cities. Okay, make sure you get this. It's not about the five minus, it's not about the ten minus, it's not about the five cities, it's not about the ten cities, it's about the heart. It could have been 30 cities, it could have been 300 cities, that's not the point. The point is, how do we respond to Jesus in our heart? Is it a new heart that we give through repentance and faith that wells up in hope and expresses itself in love? Or is it a hard callous heart that holds Jesus at arm's length, doesn't experience his blessing and therefore has his blessing, doesn't have his blessing to give away? Y'all, this story that Jesus is telling is a plea to his disciples, to us. To resist the love of money. To honor Jesus as king. To invest our God-given resources with faith, not fear. Hope, not despair. And love, not apathy. That's what he's getting at. This is a story that's inviting us, beginning with me, to repentance. And biblically speaking, repentance is a personal call to turn from specific sins to turn from what you're personally prone to do, to turn from the specific ways you're aligned with the culture and living out of worldly values so that you can become spiritually aligned with Jesus and live out of his kingdom values. This is what Jesus does with the rich young ruler, right? What does he say to the rich young ruler? Hey, I see you. I love you. Go, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Why? Because he sees that the rich young ruler is in bondage to the world. He's duped by the cultural narrative. He's a slave to money, and he fears using it for anything else other than his own kingdom. He has a scarcity mentality, and it's controlling him, and he's not experiencing the blessing he's asking for. He's bought into the lie of the cultural narrative that money is going to bring him more happiness and more freedom. And Jesus loves him enough to stop and call him to repentance. Turn away from that. It's not going to bring you life. Come to me. I'm the truth, the way, and the life. What you're looking for is here, not there. Repentance means ceasing to hoard our resources out of fear. Or to control our resources out of selfishness. And rather to start stewarding our resources in love. And sharing our resources generously. And that means kneeling humbly before Jesus. With an open mind. A submitted heart under his mission. Submitted and a teachable spirit. Saying, Jesus, you are king, and I belong to you. Not my will be done, but yours. Not my kingdom come, but yours. This week, Sandy told me an interesting story that he heard on NPR. And it was a story that took place after the aftermath of Katrina. Katrina. And what happened after Katrina is that um, a lot of people needed a lot of help. And so at some point when the government started coming in and providing help, um, there were lots of forms uh, to fill out and lots of things to apply for. And time and time again, in order to get the help that the government was trying to give, you needed an address to fill out those forms. Guess what didn't happen? People didn't have addresses. People lost their driver's license. People lost their birth certificates. They had no ID. They had no addresses. They couldn't fill out those forms. And the government, filled with all the red tape, didn't know how to help them. Until finally a group of people smartened up and said, the first thing we've got to do for these dear people is give them homes. They'll have an address. They can fill out the forms. And they can get the rest of the various kind of help that they need. Y'all, that is what Jesus does for us. We have a new home in Christ Jesus. We are no longer citizens of the world we're citizens of heaven. We no longer belong to the kingdom of power and principalities of darkness, but the kingdom of the son that the father loves. And because of that new home in Christ, we have a deep, eternal, secure identity. And out of that new identity in Christ, Christ in us, us in Christ, we can be free with faith and hope and love to steward our resources for the sake of others. Because we've not only received the gospel, we've been called and commissioned to give the gospel away. And whatever means God has given us to do so. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. And his promise is that the father will care for us as we seek the kingdom first and its righteousness. Everything else that we need will be provided for us. That's the alignment that Jesus is talking about his expectation that he's sharing lovingly with his disciples. And it brings us to the last guy. Because I don't know about you, but the last guy still kind of troubles me. That wicked servant. What about that last guy? How do we love that last guy? What if we're that last guy? Well, while they or we deserve rebuke and death for our insubordination to the king. What Jesus is alluding to is that he comes to take the punishment for us. And here he begins the gospel, his disciples. Jesus rescues us from our wickedness. He gets killed instead of us in our place for our sin so that we might live. By his death, our pride Is forgiven, our greed is cleansed, faith trumps fear, hope shines into despair, and love overcomes apathy. And not only that, we are raised to new life. The old is gone, the new has come, we're set free to take our blessing from God in order to be a blessing for God, to partner with God in the work of the gospel and grateful response to what he has so lavishly given us by his mercy and grace. We become people of mercy and grace in the lives of others as we join him in seeking to save the lost. So that in the Northridge neighborhood, In Midtown, in River North, all along the Broadway corridor, every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ because we belong to him and we're sent once to continue his mission and ministry, sharing whatever resources he's given us for the sake of others. That's good news, y'all. That's what it means to be the church. The church is the means of the kingdom of God, and the church brings the kingdom of God. It's the means of mission and the fruit of mission all at the same time. Now, let me close with this. This parable is about money. But as we look at Jesus' teaching and the whole counsel of Scripture, I think it's fair to say that it's about so much more than that. Because God does give us more resources than just money. This parable is about the calling that he has on our lives. This parable is about the unique spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has deposited in every single one of us. This parable is about how we steward our time. How we steward our relationships. How we steward um, our jobs and our friendships and our neighborhoods. This is about all of who God has created us to be, yielded and surrendered and uh, with open hands, giving back to the one who's given it all. Last night, um, I had a little problem and then I took my car into the shop to uh, just get it looked over before we went on the road to Colorado. I'm leaving in 50 minutes. I'll bring you back some cool air it's hot in the air holy cow but we took the car into the shop and we just asked to have them look it over they ended up flushing the radiator and um, about two hours later there was a big pool of pink water in my driveway Um, and uh, I didn't didn't know what to do I'm not a fix my own car type of guy I panicked and I prayed, Lord, who, who has the resources? Who has the gifting to help me with this? Because it was about four o'clock by that time and all of the mechanics in the area closed at two on Saturday. So um, I called up Daniel Hernser. Daniel has amazing gifts with cars. I asked him last night, I said, when you look in here, Like, do you see what I see? Just a bunch of stuff that doesn't make any sense. He's like, no, I see how it all works together. I'm like, that's so awesome. (laughs) So Daniel comes over. He hooks stuff up, flushes it, finds the leak, takes off the tube. And he realizes that they put the radiator hose in upside down. It was too close to one of the fan belts. So it was going to get rubbed. So they tried to zip tie it. By cutting a hole in a piece of plastic and drawing it back away, but that didn't work. So the belt, after just a couple of hours, rubbed through the hose and it was leaking everywhere. And he kind of shook his head and he figured it out. We went to Napa Auto Parts. He came in, he fixed it. But more than, more than that, we had church together last night. It was such a joy getting to know Daniel better. It was so fun to see his gifts at work, to feel the love that he had for me and my family. He just blessed me last night. And it's not just me, believe me. He blessed my wife and my kids because they didn't want to lose two days of vacation, getting the car fixed. That's what it means to be the church. What resources has God given you for the sake of being the church together and building one another up in love and reaching out to those who need us to share the life and the love of Jesus to them. And if you were to take those resources that God has entrusted to you, whatever those resources are, and you did invest them for the king's purposes, for the extension of the kingdom, what might happen? What if, y'all? What if? As we come to the table tonight, that's the invitation. Is that together we would come to the king through the bread and the wine. And we would ask for healing in areas where we've had false teaching or hurt or have been abused in this area in the past. We just come to Jesus and ask him to heal us tonight. We come and we ask Jesus to fan into flame the gifts he's given us for ministry. To thank him for his provision and to ask for his clarity and direction on how we become good servants. And steward those things for his glory and our freedom and joy. And we receive with a heart of faith and hope and love acknowledging that all things come of thee, O oh Lord. And of thine own have we given thee. As we come to the Lord Jesus, let that be our prayer. Let that be our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And uh, let's rejoice and celebrate. Not only for the salvation that has come to this house. But for the salvation that God is going to bring to many more households. As we continue to honor the King. And partner with him in mission. And give it away. For the sake of those who don't know him yet. Amen. Amen.